Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to The Passing Shot, the tennis catch-up podcast serving you with the latest news, gossip and results from the ATP and WTA circuit and British tennis. Ready? Play. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, Passing Shotters, and welcome to the latest episode of your Tennis Catch-Up podcast. Uh, it's me, Joel, and uh, Kim, hello, how are you? Hi, good, thanks, how are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm good, thanks. Um, right, today is, it, it's, well, week two of the US Open. It's, this is our kind of recap of what's been going on um, in the men's and women's finals. Now, there has been been a lot of fallout particularly with the women's event so I think we're just gonna have to almost deep dive crack on because there's a there's always a lot to get through in the show isn't there there is yeah I think we should just sort of dive straight into what everyone's talking about um what is that I I, I you know I I, oh, haven't you heard? I, I don't know because you know I've you know I've been going on Twitter and, and no one's been mentioning I, what is it that you're, you're talking about <laughs> yeah well <laughs> If anyone hasn't heard, yeah, um, Serena's outburst at the final. Um, but I mean, I think that's that's kind of the, the part of the problem is that we're just talking about Serena. And I kind of want to begin really by saying, well done, Naomi Osaka, because she's the one that's getting forgotten amidst all of this. And, yeah. Uh, it's amazing it's... that she's a Grand Slam champion. Like, she did so, so well. Mm. Yeah, like for me... Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka going into the final. I felt it was kind of like uh, this had a kind of fairy fairy tale story element to it. You had, you know, Serena Williams in one corner, you know, coming back from, um, you know, giving giving birth and, you know, in her second Grand Slam final in front of her home crowd, looking for her 24th Grand Slam. And then in the other corner, you had Naomi Osaka looking to become the first um, Japanese Grand Slam champion, only 20 years old, um, playing against someone that she idolised and looked up to um, as a junior growing up. Um, so going into it, I thought we were, you know, I was kind of like really pumped for it. And I thought it was going to be, a, I thought it was going to be an, a, an excellent final where, you know, we're going to come out of it just talking about, you know, big hitting, great match quality, great atmosphere. But did that happen? no (laughs) well Uh, yeah I mean the atmosphere was certainly not great was it no Um, it was I mean yeah going into I was I was really intrigued because Naomi Osaka's coach Sasha Bayan is Serena's former hitting partner so what I was thinking he knows Serena's game really well um you know Osaka's tactics should really be like spot Mm. on to play Serena so I was really intrigued to see how that that would match up Um, yeah and I and I thought, like, you know, the first set, the first set was, it was a high quality first set, completely befitting of, you know, a women's Grand Slam final. 
But going into the second set, this is when all the all the all the shenanigans, all the controversy um, starts to happen. Now, for anyone kind of listening and is been living under a rock for the last you know couple of days since the final, uh, we'll give you kind of a lowdown of what happened and then kind of the passing shots take um, on on the events. So, just starting off with, um, we'll just kind of deal in facts facts at the moment. And the first one was around. So Serena Williams, she basically got three uh, penalties. And the first one um, was at the start of the second set was due to illegal coaching. Um, did you have any thoughts on that, Kim? Well, yeah, I mean, it was like that little hand signal, wasn't it, from uh, Patrick more particularly. Um, and then Serena came out saying, you know, how dare you call me a cheat? You know, I would never cheat. Um you know, I think she was basically implying that it was just uh, or either she hadn't seen the hand signal or it was just, you know, like a coach being enthusiastic, you know, for his player. Um, so that was that was that was code violation one, wasn't it? The coaching. Yeah. And I, I was really surprised, actually, that Muratroglu Mur- came out and actually said, yeah, I was coaching. That news hit me before I got like Serena's like press conference um and um I you know I think you know Serena in her press conference kind of said you know he may have been gesturing to me but I didn't see it yeah but you know to me I you know you're responsible for your coach and you know regardless if you saw if you you know saw it or not it you know it that doesn't matter um you know I completely I kind of side with the umpire and I think he was completely spot on in you know, he noticed it and then yeah, gave a warning to Serena. And I think that you know, I don't think there's any controversy with that with that call. No, I agree. And I, th- I think you know, the umpires you know got a lot to focus on in the match. So for him to actually notice it, mm. um, you know, it must have been kind of quite <laughs> clear to him. And he has given um, violations for coaching many times in the past. Like he's he's quite a you know, a firm umpire, he's not going to take any shit, basically, yeah. um, from anyone. And so, I, yeah, I completely agree. If, if that's spotted, then... Yeah, I guess the... Whatever player, you know, it's not not in the rules of the game, so... Yeah. And I guess, the, I guess the one other point I would make on it is that it does open up a... In a it does open up to a wider context when you compare it to the rest of the WTA tour where they allow... Um, on court coaching and mm. there's this feeling that at some point in the future that grand slams will go down this route that on court coaching will um become part of you know the game of you know the game of tennis and um i guess one advantage of that is that it might eradicate these situations where coaches may feel need to you know the need to gesture to their players from the box you know, on-court coaching almost gives them a, a, a time period for them to go on court and actually do it, um, you know, in a legal manner. Um, but the yeah, flip side of I that agree. is, but obviously the flip side of that is, you know, this is, this is, this is, this is tennis, you know, this is a gladiatorial sport. This is one versus one, you know, you've got your opponent across from you from the net and, you know, when you're playing a match and, 
you know, problem solve problem solving is, you know, almost a, you know, a skill and something you almost need to figure out on your own how to beat your opponent. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it has to be consistent, doesn't it, really? So if, if the WTA, you know, they've been doing it for a few a few years now. So, yeah, I think if they do introduce it in the slams, though, would it ever be introduced in the men's game in that case? So it's yeah. consistent, you know, across both um, both sexes. Um, I mean, I personally, I'm not really a fan at all, yeah, of, of the on-court coaching. I do find it, like, disrupts the flow of matches sometimes you know when I've seen it in the WTA tour and I do yeah like you said I feel like people should be able to have enough knowledge of the game to know what they're doing wrong and what they should be doing to you know, change the situation mm. yeah I mean I guess well let's wait and see I'm sure that that story has probably got a lot more words to be written about and I'm sure we're going to hear more coaching uh, in the future so let's move on to these. And this was due to a, um, so I think Serena was 3-1 up in the second set and she gave the break back to Osaka. And uh, just before she was about to go to the change of ends, she, uh, she smashed her racket. So second, that was the second penalty. And that equates to a point penalty. Again, not, you know, I don't see, there was not any, there's not any controversy there. You know, you, we all saw racket smash on video. You know, for me, you know, that's a mandatory penalty. And, you know, because it was a second offence, that's a point penalty. So Absolutely. Yeah, she, I mean, you can't really argue with that one either, can you? Um, I don't like it when players smash rackets. It's, like, disrespectful um, to, like, one thing I've really always liked about Rafa and, and other players that just kind of keep their cool and don't smash rackets. You know, they just... It's just, yes, yeah, I just think it's disrespectful. Um, so I've never keen on anyone who really does that, you know. And I understand you get caught up in the heat at the moment, but um, yeah, it's just not really. It's it's not a good it's look, not, especially you know, like um, admirable behaviour, shall we say? No, and it's especially like you know with players, you know, who are in that kind of um, role model, um, are you know, are role models, but not not just kind of role models as tennis players but like Serena Williams is like a you know a mother role model and it's just you know if you think about you know her smashing a racket and kids seeing that it's kind of like you know it's not the it's not the greatest um it's not the greatest sort of behavior you want to be you know you want to be showing in someone's you know in some in someone's stature like Serena yeah no exactly and then the going on the third violation was obviously Mm. then for um you know, abusing a verbal abuse to the umpire, which for me, yeah, this is like the worst, the worst thing that she did. Um, you know, she just, she brought the referee on court, didn't she? They all came on again. Yeah. Um, she called mm. the Carlos Ramos a, is it a liar, a thief. A liar. Um, and I just think that is totally not on, you know, I don't care how many Grand Slams you've won. You don't go around being disrespectful to the officials who are there to do their job and to help the sport. Um, and then, you know, she started bringing in the sexism angle, um, which I think, yes, there is sexism in sport, including tennis. But I think there's a time and a place to bring that argument up. And the US Open final in this context wasn't the best place for it to be raised. I mean, yes, everyone's talking about it. So she has started a conversation, but um, mm. I just feel like she was 
I don't want to like judge, you know, because I, I don't know what she's personally, you know, gone through um, in the sport, but I just feel like she was using it a bit to her own ends at that particular moment. I don't know what, what was your perspective yeah. on that bit. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard it's a hard one because I think you know I I agree with you in the sense that you know there is there is sexism there are double standards in in tennis and you know the U.S. Open we saw that you know we've seen that over the last two weeks you know it, I, it instantly sprung to mind you know with Elise Cornet yeah. getting a you know getting um, a warning for you know taking off a top and and putting it around the right way and. You know, for me, that was a clear example of, you know, a, a double standard. So, OK, I get it that there's there is that sort of, you know, those sort of inconsistencies in the tennis world. But at the same time, you know, to your point, the US for me, the US Open final is not a place where you you bring that you bring that issue up as a tennis fan. I just want to see, you know, a great match. You know, lots of people are watching around the world. I want to see a great match, and I want to be talking about the the, the performances. Um, but it, it is interesting because it kind of now it's in the you know the wider you know in the wider sphere of the public, not just tennis fans. It it, it could be like a watershed moment. It could be. But my, I mean, the thing is, I think what would have been more admirable is if Serena had just taken all of this on board, accepted it calmly, and then. She could have focused and gone on, you know, what if she'd come back and won the match? She could still have raised the argument that she didn't think it was fair that she'd received, like, the coaching violation. But it would have yeah. been so much um, so much better if she had just got on with it. and Saved it for the... Everyone, what she, what she, we know she is capable of doing. And then she, she obviously is so famous and she is always in a position where she can kind of raise these issues. Um, so it just seemed like it was, yeah, the wrong time to raise it. Um, and I know Carlos Ramos, I think, you know, if he'd have seen Djokovic's coach doing a hand signal in the men's final, he would have given a violation for that. I think, you know, he has given them out to male players in the past. I think the issue here is that, yes, on coaching from the box does go on, but umpires need to be much stricter and more consistent. Yeah. I think maybe the issue and I mean, between umpires, it's not consistent. Yeah. And I mean, Carlos Ramos is known, he is known as a, um, you know, a, a stricter umpire than, than others. And, um, I, you know, I don't think he did anything wrong. I think, you know, by the letter of the law, he, he applied it. Um, you know, there, I think for me, there is a question of, you know, as an umpire, there is a duty almost to, you know, you're dealing with players who you know, in the heat of the moment, you know, it can be a very emotional situation. And, you know, there may be the argument that the umpire has a responsibility to temper the situation, and almost dial down the emotion when he can. But, and, I, and I've been reading that kind of some, of some people have been suggesting that he could have almost given a soft warning to Serena. So he's suggesting, you know, knock it off or I'm going to give you, you know, a game, a game penalty, first of all. But I, you know, when I was kind of looking back at the video, I don't, I can't see a moment where I don't think there was, a, I think Serena had almost reached that point of no return. I don't think there was an opportunity for her, for Carlos Ramos to talk Serena, you know, to calm Serena down, I don't think. Yeah, I think maybe she was beyond that stage. But the only thing I do think that um, people do see, um, I think when when women, uh, when female players 
you know, have a go at the umpire, they they sort of um people think, oh, you know, this this woman's really out of control, she's really emotional. But when a man does it, it's seen as much more normal and oh he's just a bit angry he's a bit of a character a bit of a bad boy but we love him for it i think mm. um they're are you thinking about nick Kyrgios? yeah i just think yeah he'd have done it he, like there wouldn't have been such a massive hoo-ha for it because you just kind of expect it and it's seen as like no, more normal for a male player to have a backlash that's the only kind of yeah. double standard that i can really obviously see in terms of her behavior and how it's been viewed um, I just think all the booing from the fans, like, yeah, that's just not, I, you know, I mean, poor Osaka, like, you just think, you know, you just, you're winning your first slam and it's such a shame that it was marred by this. I, I, I agree. And, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where, you know, in the record books, you'll see, you know, Osaka defeated Serena at the, you know, US Open final in 20, you know, 2018. But, it's you know there is so there is so much more to there's so much more to it than you know the result and a lot of the focus is you know is on Serena but I give her credit that in the presentation she did she did address the crowd to kind of to stop it um and that was you know I think that was quite that was a nice touch um because yeah I think Osaka you know she had played lights out tennis throughout the whole two weeks you know, first Japanese um, Grand Slam champion, you know, she obviously wants to revel in that moment. And I feel like it was kind of, you know, taken away from her by Serena, but also, yeah, potentially by the crowd as well um, during the, you know, during the presentation. Yeah. I mean, just makes me think what, what else happened in the women's tournament? It's like been totally overshadowed by the final. Mm. Um, But I mean, I guess the semifinals weren't particularly, they were quite straightforward, weren't they? So I think Osaka, mm. yeah, she she did so well throughout the whole tournament. She was really on form. I mean, she had that. Um, she had, well, she was the one that won like three bagel sets in a row. Like, so I think we could kind yeah. of tell she was on, on form. And then the Sabalenka match was like the closest one. And obviously, yeah, I think that was the only that was the only um, that was the only match where she dropped yes. a set. I think in the tournament so and like, dominant. yeah, and all of the other sets they weren't like you know they weren't like. I, tie breaks or seven five or you know they were quite um you know one-sided so kind of great kind of new um you know new player to the four that you know is no doubt gonna have a very you know has has got a very promising career ahead of her i mean we have i'm no doubt we're gonna have a serena versus uh naomi matchup at some point in the future (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Round two, exactly. Carlos Ramos is the umpire again, maybe. I don't well, know. Yeah. but um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that those will be. You know, I'm sure that they will face each other again, and I just hope the next next time that they do play each other, that the tennis, you know, the tennis does the, does the talking because they have the ability to put on some, you know, absolute, um, cla- you know, classic matches between them. Absolutely, absolutely. Should we should we talk about the men's tournament now? <laughs> Yeah, sorry, no, no, I, no. I completely forgot there was a men's tournament. Actually, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, it has to women's tennis more than, you know, the men's, which is, is normally the other way around. Mm. But, um, yeah, well, yeah. it's quite predictable in the end, I think, Djokovic win. Well, I mean, it was predictable. We, I mean, to be fair, we did guess right in our predictions. We did say Novak Djokovic, men's champion. Mm. Was I expecting Juan Martin Del Potro to be the finalist? 
Uh, no, no, I, I mean, I was shock was it? And I mean, I think Rafa's knees kind of got in the way, um, mm. and the long matches, you know, the Rafa against Dominic team match, which was amazing. So, um, but the thing is, Del Potro played, yeah, brilliant tennis the whole tournament, but just in the final, he didn't seem to to quite produce what we know he's capable of, which was really frustrating yeah. for me. I think the, I mean, what I, you know, I watched um, the, the second and third set of the match at, oh, sorry. And um, I think the key going into it was whether Djokovic could handle, uh, handle Del Potro's first serve and then handle his four, you know, and handle his forehand. And, what I thought was really interesting was earlier in the week, um, Jim Courier came out and said that, um, uh, who was it? So one of the you know, US Open tennis organisers said that they had deliberately slowed the court, um, the slowed the courts at Flushing Meadow this year. And in, I thought that was quite interesting because I think that would, that would have helped Djokovic, particularly against a, an opponent like Del Potro, giving him that... Um, little bit more time on the ball um, and then if you combine that with the fact that it was played under a closed roof very humid very sticky um, again I think it just helped Djokovic have a little bit more time and be able to kind of diffuse you know the big weapons that we know um, that that Del Potro has that you know can be can be very destructive but yeah Djokovic was just able to you know negate them you know during the final yeah I think you've hit the nail on the head really um yeah Djokovic got a bit lucky with I guess the conditions um but yeah I think you know he was just so solid um if, since like the first second round when he had a bit of like the dodgy kind of matches I think that mm. was a bit affected by the heat wasn't he but since then he's been sort of just sort of swanning through basically hasn't he um I think he had a relatively easy draw especially um, yeah. after Federer fell by the wayside, which was perhaps the shock of the tournament. Um, yeah. Who would have yep. seen <laughs> I think last last week we sat here uh, confidently asserting that nobody <laughs> would ever beat Roger Federer. But, um, wow, I mean, that was uh, certainly interesting. That was, uh, that was crazy. And I guess, you know, a lot of, it feels like a lot of the moments off court have been because of the heat. And I know that there has been a lot of talk about the roof um, on Arthur Ashe creating these extremely humid um, conditions. And, you know, I think Federer said at the end of the Milman match, you know, he just wanted to get off court because he couldn't, he couldn't breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I wonder whether the, you know, the organisers are going to have to look at that because the, it sounded like the conditions this year were particularly hard due to that mixture of heat and humidity, you know, heat and humidity. Yeah, I think it was a very difficult um, tournament weather-wise, wasn't it? But because uh, I think Federer was certainly completely out of character. Like, you never see him mm. bothered by anything, really. He's normally so cool and calm, so... Um, yeah. And with a guy like Millman, who I think he trains out of Brisbane. Yeah, so obviously you know, in a heat and... Exactly. And um, I think, you know, that... I, I think that you know that that match was, you know, heat. The heat element of that match was a big, I think, a big factor in in the outcome. But um, yeah, congrats though to John Millman because he, you know, he played a fantastic match, played his game, 
and yeah, caused probably probably the upset of the tournament. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, going back to Djokovic, he's now equaled Sampras's 14 laps. Mm. So uh, quite a momentum. Three behind Rafa. Okay. Three behind yeah, I know, Rafa. catching up. <laughs> um, I mean, it's amazing that they've all managed to, you know, 14 slams at one point just seemed totally ridiculous, didn't it? You know, and then, and then Rafa and now Novak and... And now it yeah. just looks like, you know, not very many at all, really, you know. But Yeah, well, I've, I saw um, I saw a nice statistic on Twitter, which said that of the past 60 Grand Slams, 50 of them have been won by Federer, Nadal and Djokovic. Christ. That's and back, what, 12 years? 12 and a half? Yeah. yeah. So uh, six other, so six players have, one the other 10 kim can you can you name them for me so wait hang on what did i just say that's going back 10 and a half years no i can't count 12 and a half years so it's 2006 okay well um del potro yeah stan the man yeah uh leighton hit would have been before that wouldn't he Oh my god, you're missing a very obvious one. Oh, Andy, Andy, I know Roddick would have been before then as well. Oh, Andy Murray! <laughs> yeah. Murray! <laughs> I'm just going back too, too, far, too far than that. Uh, ooh. Oh, Marit Safin. Would he? Yes, yes. very right, good. You know, very good. 2005. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh gosh, I can't. And then one more. This is the, this is the, what, this is the tricky <laughs> one. French Open, mm. 2004, I think. Oh, the year before Rafa. Um, Oh, that was, um, was it that Argentinian? Gaudio? Yep. Is he Argentinian? Yeah, Gaston Gaudio. That was kind of before I was even into tennis, but I just kind of, you know, like, you see, you see it, don't you, and, like, when you're reading up on it and stuff. Yeah, oh, I, I, that's a, yeah. That's an interesting so, uh, statistic, that is, actually. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. And also the fact that Djokovic has now overtaken, with that win, Djokovic actually overtook Federer in terms of all-time prize money. So, in terms of dollars, Djokovic has earned $119.1 million. Wow. And Federer has earned $117.5 million. Now, this is just from um, prize money alone. Uh, well, the, the interesting thing here is that, obviously, Federer has won more titles and more Grand Slams. But he won them in an era where the prize money wasn't as great as, you know, it, it has progressively got over the, over the years. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, they're obviously both not short of, not short of change and, um, you know, Federer actually makes a lot, a considerable amount more in sponsorships, um, and advertising than, and then Novak, but, um, yeah, just another kind of another statistic there. Um, yeah. Uh, what else was there? Oh, that's what I wanted to say. And also at the men's final, uh, they kept panning to Meryl Street, uh, <laughs> like, um, had camera on her like facial reactions, and they were just they were just great. They were almost like channeling yeah. the the audience during the match. Yeah, and, um... at home. Yeah, she was. Uh, I don't know if she's like into tennis that much, or if it was like her first time. But yeah, she was um, <laughs> very entertaining to watch. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're listening, go on Twitter and just just search Meryl Streep US Open final. You'll see some <laughs> you'll see some hilarious gifts on there. Um, so yeah, I'd say you know congratulations to Djokovic. I guess you know the the next you know the question the fallout from it is can he 
can he claim to be the end of season um, number one? Oh, probably. Yeah, he's only, I think, what, a thousand or so points behind Rafa. Yeah. Um, and then obviously we've got two more Masters series. We've got Tokyo, the, the, the indoor the swing, essentially, and then Paris, and then mm-hmm. World Tour Finals. So I think, yeah, I think I could certainly see that happening. I don't know what's going on with like Rafa's knees. Mm. I think he looks like to be the man of the moment, um, which is, you know, amazing. Like, what a comeback, because I remember seeing him in the Australian Open earlier in the year and it seemed like his elbow was still bothering him and you know he I can't remember who he lost to now but he just walked off court looking so sort of like defeated and then yeah. you know, he's now come back one two slams and right back up the yeah. and I was reading to I was reading today Kim that um he puts down his this his upturn in fortune to a five-day hike um in the south of France up Mont Mont Saint Saint Victoire. Um, apologies for my French accent, but um, yeah, he said that uh, his he did a five day hike with uh, with Yelena, his wife, and I quote: "I strongly recommend you climb it. Some great things will happen in your life." So, uh, you know, he's obviously a, a travel rep for the region, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of Novak Djokovic fans are going to be uh, going to that to that region shortly. They have to put a Serbian flag at the top or something. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that. I can imagine that now. I, I wouldn't even be surprised if that if that happened. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, congratulations to Djokovic. Um, is you know the other question I guess is you know he won he's won Wimbledon he's won um, the U.S. Open. Can he continue at the Australian Open? Could he even be you know could we even be talking about French Open next year? Novak Rafa final. Novak for the oh, Joko Slam four in a row. Well, it's you know that would be very tasty, but obviously a long a long way a to long go. Way off. Um, I mean, <laughs> he is like the king of Australia, isn't he? So hmm. I certainly wouldn't put a past him winning down under in January. But we will see. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So um, so right. Okay. That's the that's talking about recapping the women and the men's. Uh, let's move on to looking at the rest of the tournament in terms of the doubles and also British success as well. So let's start with a congratulations to Jamie Murray, um, <laughs> who uh, who won the mixed doubles title um, with American Bethany Matic Sands, and they beat Croatia's Nikola Mektic and Poland's Alicia Rosalska. Um, two six six three eleven nine. So um, yeah, great great stuff from uh, Jamie there. Yeah, no, it's uh, his fourth mixed doubles slam, I think. Um, but when I saw that he was playing with Bethany Matic Sands, I thought, oh, that's such a good partnership. Yeah, um, I agree because she's a very good doubles player as well, isn't she? Yeah, she's won so many slams, and um, like she's just coming back from injury and mm. home tournament. Um, yeah, she's she's so cool. I'm really glad they won. And it was it was a it was a good match. It was. Yeah, it was really tight. And actually, I was looking at the draw and their, so their quarterfinals, semifinal and final all went to the championship tiebreak and they won them each time, 10-7, 10-8 and then 11-9. So it's about when you were, win the points, isn't it, in tennis? Yeah, well, yeah, pretty- they played the big points well, didn't they? Um, so, uh, yeah, so congratulations to Jane Murray. And then um, let's talk about, let's go on to the... Um, 
their men's doubles then. So we had, um, again, we had uh, Bob Bryan and Jack Sott win uh, the title, beating Lukas Kubot and Marcelo Melo in the final, 6-3-6-1. Very interesting because Bob Bryan is playing with Jack Sott. Uh, Mike Bryan, when he comes back from injury, um, you know, Bob Bryan and Jack Sott having all this success, like... You know, I'm assuming it's a given that Bob Bryan goes back and plays with Mike Bryan, but you know, there's. I would assume you know, so, but maybe they're enjoying their time apart. Who knows? Um, yeah, I, to be honest with you, I find the Bryans more interesting when they play with other people because <laughs> I just find them together. I, mm. I just turn, I switch off a bit um, in the nicest possible way. So I think actually it's pretty cool to see one of them, you know, playing with yeah. someone else. It, it sort of spices it up, doesn't it? And. Yeah, Brian well, saw a pretty good team. I mean, it's created some extra competition in the ATP doubles race because if you uh, go look at the leaderboard at the moment, I think you'll find at number three, Bob Bryan and Mike Bryan. And then at number four, you will find Jack Sock and Mike Bryan. So um, he obviously wants to have some competition with himself. Um, but I assume when it comes to deciding like the doubles pairs for the World Tour Finals, that it would just be the choice of... Bob Bryan, like who he would go with. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So you know, the, the team with the highest points has to mm. has to be the one to play. I assume. Yeah, be able to it would be it would it, it would be hilarious though if both those teams made it to the final and he would have to play with two teams. I doubt. I'm I'm assuming that cannot happen. I assume but he that would be, be able to yeah, enter and like be in separate round robin groups and just. Yeah, I assume that would be a complete no-go. Yeah, it's funny. Um, yeah, they won that pretty convincingly, that title. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. beat Jamie along the way, didn't they? I think. Yeah. Oh, uh, no, Jamie lost to Yaziri, no. didn't he? Oh, no, of course. Albo. Yeah, favourite. <laughs> Malik <laughs> and Bradley Albert. What a team. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Um, and then we had the ladies' doubles final, which was a very, oh, was very, long, very long encounter. Um, it was won by um, another American, by Coco Vandevey and um, Ash Barty of Australia. And um, uh, the, I think the, they beat uh, Babos and Mladenovic in the final, 3-6-7-6-7-6. And it overran to the extent that they weren't given, they weren't afforded a presentation um, at the See, end of the, at the end of the match. If we're talking about sexism in sport, I mean, how long does a presentation take? Like, 15? well, why could they not? Know, this is, think that's yeah, I mean, this was my this. I was talking about this. My mate, I was surprised that this hasn't been made a bigger deal than you know. I think it, it could be because you know, are there you know their match? Yeah, it did. It went obviously you know quite you know it went the distance and. You know, the, they had the men's final scheduled for a set time. But I agree that I don't think that they should have not been afforded, um, you, know, a, you know, a ceremony. And yeah. I don't think, you know, Del Potro and Djokovic would have said, you know, we want to start, at, you know, <laughs> X time, get the, you know, get the ladies doubles people off. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was a bit kind of, you know, I think that the USTA should kind of, look at that and you know they should be having an on-court ceremony for kind of all of their I think it's probably because of the TV and the yeah I imagine so I'm sure that they're probably totally dictated by that but I wonder if they would have done the same thing for the men's doubles or whether it was you know if you Mm. as an angle that I think that definitely crops up as a big red flag you know why were they not even given like a quick trophy ceremony um Mm. 
makes them feel a bit invalidated. But uh, and they did, yeah, it was a cracking match. So you know, probably arguably more entertaining than the men's final. But uh, yeah. it's often the way that doubles is often you know shoved under the carpet. And then yeah. uh, we also had some British success in the wheelchair. Yep, Talk- singles and doubles of the yep. wheelchair. Yes. So Alfie Hewitt, yeah. Um, he both, he, yeah, he won both. Won he won the doubles with Gordon Reed, mm-hmm. and then he uh, beat the number one seed um, in the singles. Um, it was against Shingo uh, Canada, the Japanese. That's the one six three seven five. So yeah, yeah. So that's well done, Alfie. That's. Uh... That's that's great, and then I think the juniors as well. We had um, Aidan McHugh and Emma yeah. Radicanu. Um, I say, yeah, they did they did relatively well. Yeah. Um, I think Aidan McHugh lost to the eventual champion. I think it was a, a Brazilian chap, and then Emma Radicanu. She absolutely smoked the second seed, I think, like love and one um, in like the second round. Um, but then, yeah, fell in the I think she fell in the, in the next round. But uh, again, kind of very, I'd say very promising, very interested to see how she develops just because that she she is so young and she's going to be a very good prospect for the future, I think. Yeah, well, that's good. That's promising. Some British, some young British success for once. Mm, yeah. Um so, yeah, so kind of good, I guess like a good end for, you know, Brits involved with Jamie Murray winning the mix um, and then Alfie Hewitt uh, and Gordon Reid as well in the in the wheelchair competition. Um, it's just a shame that obviously we were probably expecting a little bit more from Kyle, potentially Andy um, and and Joe Conter as well and, and also Heather Watson. So, um, yeah, I think it was a bit of a shame in terms of that they weren't able to kind of keep British interests going in this in the singles co- competition further than you know that further than what happened yeah it all seems such a long time ago now like the slams kind of <laughs> they go by so fast you're so like absorbed in it and then it's all over in a flash and sort of go back to normal life yeah yeah and I mean I guess kind of like the the final point for me is that to your point on the fact that it's gone you know that feels like a world away now and i think it's down to like the fact that this grand slam has just had so many different talking points it seems to have been like a you know a press release each day from the usta about a certain incident um you know just kind of off the top of my head you know we've had you know the talking about the heat um we had the the dasco murray incident uh with the you know talking to the coach during the heat break we had Cornet in the shirt swapping incident, Kirigos uh, and his new coach, uh, Mohamed Mayani, uh, Mil- Milman uh, Federer, one, you know, big upset. Uh, Federer saying he couldn't breathe on, on the court. Um, oh, we didn't even talk about this. Milman and, Milman and Djokovic, uh, Milman had a break to change his clothes off court because he was sweating so much that it was like, to the point it was dangerous, like he could slip. Um, wow. So again, like com- completely unprecedented things happening. Um, and then, yeah, we had, you know, we had a five set classic in Nadal versus team. Then we had the unfortunate kind of uh, Nadal's uh, right knee coming, you know, coming back to kind of um, stop him against uh, Del Potro. 
Um, and then obviously we had the kind of the Serena Serena Gate uh, in the women's in the women's final. So yeah, a lot of a lot of talking points. Yeah, I mean it certainly has been yeah a more um, controversial tournament than I guess most recent slams, uh, especially around the umpires. I think it does bring into focus more like you know their role and um, I think you know we often take umpires for granted, don't we? But they do do an important job and. As soon as one of them steps out of line or, um, you know, like like Liani, you know, we do notice. And and with Carlos Ramos, I mean, he didn't step out of line, but, you know, it's, I think they're the two most, for me, the two most interesting points from the last few weeks. Hmm. Um, to be honest, for me, I was going into it and thinking, oh, my God, the shot clock is going to wreak havoc on the, on the system and everyone's going to hate it and it's going to cause loads of debate. But... But the reality is, it's been it's it's actually worked all right, and um, I saw it in the fi- in the men's final because you know Novak Djokovic was getting pretty close to um, to the to the count to the thirty second limit, um, but it almost created a bit of like I was I was almost like it created a bit of interest during his like con- consistent like bouncing the ball up and down on the baseline because I was like oh will he won't he go over the go over the limit will the umpire act on it. Um, so I kind of, yeah, I kind of liked it. So, drama. <laughs> yeah, the drama and kind of just seeing it in the, it kind of comes up on the on the scoreboard in the, in the bottom left-hand corner. So I kind of, yeah, I kind of like en- almost enjoyed that. Um, so uh, I was kind of hesitant towards it, um, you know, when I heard it was coming into Grand Sam's. But um, yeah, I thought it's kind of, at the moment, it's kind Working of... Working quite well, yeah. Exactly. Um, so... Um, yeah, so uh, you know, a very interesting last couple of weeks certainly has given us a lot to a lot to ponder, and I'm sure you know this 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 Grand Slam could potentially be you know a, a landmark moment in terms of you know what happens in the future. But I guess you know that remains you know remains to be seen, and whether you know these double standards that you know people are talking about whether you know they are they are ironed out and when they're you know if when they're ironed out um but yeah it's going to be very interesting to see you know how that kind of unravels um over the you know the course of the you know the last the last part of the season oh absolutely absolutely and then looking ahead we've got the davis cup coming up haven't we Mm. yep yep so we've got davis cup and labor cup and i think that's over the next kind of couple of weeks so um in terms of our kind of next episode we'll be Right back here in yeah in a couple of weeks, talking through all of the Davis Cup, all of the Labour, all of the Labour Cup, and I think we, you know, our predictions were so good, so spot on for your sake. And I think we might do some, I think we might do some you uh, some Davis Cup predictions um, as well, and put them on social media. Um, so yeah, uh, Kim, do you have any final words? Uh, no, I think I just uh, I'm kind of got to get back into non-tennis mode now. Uh, back to normal life for a bit and then I always find like this time of the season you know the summer's so full you know you've got three slams and kind of a fairly short space of time and then you kind of it's like everyone takes a big like sigh of sort of relief at the end of the US Open because it kind of quietens down a little bit for fans anyway Um, yeah but I'm sure it's gonna it's gonna ramp up back up for Brits definitely for the uh, oh, who go gosh. see the Davis Cup against uh, no, Israel um, so that'll be an interesting one to talk about but um, 
yeah until uh next time you can uh follow us uh on all the social media channels on twitter on instagram and on facebook and remember to listen and subscribe to us on apple spotify google podcasts um and any other kind of pub- podcasting platforms out there uh so uh, my name's joel and i'm kim and uh, thanks for listening Bye, Goodbye. even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks italian leather jackets and so much more And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.